rest in this moment for a moment. Think about what we just sang. He's worthy. Worthy, O Lord, are you to receive honor and glory and strength and power. In 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 4, it says, Call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Father, that's what we want to do right now. We want to call upon you. You are worthy. We are not. You are God. We are not. It is your word that we're seeking to open this morning and, and get a glimpse of who you are so we can better understand what it means to worship you, to ascribe to you the worth that is due your holy name. Would you grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. As you're turning, you may recall from a uh, previous message that I brought back in July of this year, we took a look at the book of Ecclesiastes, and we looked specifically at the story of a guy named Solomon. Now, Solomon went on this massive quest to try and find meaning and purpose to his life. So he tried to find fulfillment, he tried to find satisfaction in money, in things, in relationships, in pleasures. I mean, he ran the whole gambit. Yet, no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't grab hold of meaning and purpose to life. And so, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14, he penned the words that said this, no matter what was, was going on, no matter everything that was happening under the sun, it was meaningless. He likened it to chasing after the wind. Can you relate to that? I'm sure most of us can. Well, I want you to notice with me the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, his conclusion after he's gone on this massive quest. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, here's what he says. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Now, I have a question for you. And by the way, your answer will be the same no matter what Bible translation you use. Here's my question. According to this text, according to Ecclesiastes 12, 13, what are the two things that God requires of every one of us? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. I want to submit that this text is telling us that when we choose to genuinely fear God, and when we choose daily to faithfully walk in obedience to his word, in other words, when we're doing what God created us to do, then and only then will we find real meaning and purpose to our life. Only then will we find satisfaction and fulfillment to life. So our message this morning, we're going to focus on those two things, fearing God and obeying him, keeping his commandments. And what I want to do, first of all, is I want to look at the second part. I want to talk about keeping his commandments, and then we're going to talk about fearing God. So we are to keep his commandments, but I want to submit in order for us to do that, in order for us to keep his commandments, we have to know his commandments. You see, I cannot walk in obedience to his commands unless I know what his commands are. Does that make sense? Now watch this. I can't know what his commands are if I'm not in his word, reading his commands. I need to choose daily to be in the scriptures, investing time in my Bible. How are you doing with that? Are you in the word of God? Are you faithfully studying scriptures? Are you, are you faithfully walking in obedience to God's word? In fact, let me, let me meddle just a little bit deeper this morning. What's the motivation of your heart? Why 
are you in the word of God? Why are you walking in obedience to God's word? Is it to avoid his wrath? Is it to procure his favor, to get on his good side? Maybe get some blessings in return? Is it because it's the Christian duty, you know you ought to do that, so check off the box? Or maybe it's because everybody's watching. You want to make a good impression. Why are you walking in obedience to God's word? Why are you investing time reading his word? I want to submit to you, there's only one reason that God will accept, and that's simply because you love him. Let me explain what I mean. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He says it again in verse 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The apostle John echoes that in his second epistle, in 2 John verse 6, he says, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. In other words, the real motivation of my heart for obedience to God must be I genuinely, truly love him. So there's something I want you to give serious consideration to this morning. And as we go through the message, I want this to to bounce around inside your head. I want you to think about it this afternoon. And when you get to life groups, whenever that may be this week, I want you to talk about this. The question I want you to be asking yourself is this. Do I truly love God? Do I truly love God? Now, I'm going to stand up here this morning. I'm going to assume that for the most of us, if not all of us, your answer is going to go something like this. Well, yeah, of course I love God. Well, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yes, I love God. But let me follow it up with this question. How do you know? What, what proof is there that you love God? Is it based on your feelings? Is it based on your emotions? Is it based on warm fuzzies? Is it based upon the weather? Is it based upon the circumstances, your finances, your health? What proof do you have? Jesus said, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. I want to personalize it for you because as I've been working through this message this week, what's been pricking my heart is how do I know? In fact, let me, let me go so far as to say, how do any of you know that I, Steve Etner, love God? Is it because I stand up here and say so? It better not be. You see, Jesus asks the question in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you claim to worship me? Why do you stand in church and sing, worthy, worthy, worthy are your Lord, and yet you don't do what I say? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. There's a simple little phrase I'd love to challenge you to memorize, and maybe even in life groups this week talk about it, and it goes like this, love prompts obedience. Love prompts obedience. If I truly love God, I'm going to gladly, willingly, happily obey him. Now, it's interesting in John 14, 15, when Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That word love there is the Greek word agapao. It's a variant of the word agape. Most of us are familiar with the term agape. It refers to far more than just a feeling. It's more than just an emotional reaction or emotional response. It's actually a verb. It's an action word. We best know it as written in John 3.16. For God so loved, he agapao the world, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
It's that kind of love that should motivate our hearts to walk in faithful obedience to our Heavenly Father on a daily basis. If you love me, if you agapao me, you'll keep my commandments. So plainly put, the tangible proof that I love God is my faithful obedience to him on a daily basis. You should be able to see me walking in obedience to God because I love him, and that should be the proof to you, the evidence that my heart is genuine and I truly love my heavenly Father. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, this is the love, the agapao of God. In other words, this is the external proof of an internal truth. This is how you demonstrate your love for God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Don't miss that. Make sure you catch that. When you truly love God, let me repeat this, when you truly love God, his commandments are not a burden. In fact, let me put it to you another way. When you truly love God, it's not a duty to obey him. It's a delight to serve him. When you truly love God, it's not a duty to obey him. It is a delight to serve him. Why? Because love prompts obedience. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, let's go back to that verse again. It's up on the screen. It says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. I want to submit to you that the biggest reason that we struggle, now watch this, the biggest reason we struggle with obeying God is because we struggle with fearing God. We don't have a true understanding of what it means to fear God. In Psalm 128, verse 1, it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That, that word blessed, I want you to think about it for just a moment. It appears often in Scripture, especially in the Psalms. It's a word that means happy, satisfied, fulfilled. Does that ring any bells with you? Do you remember the journey that Solomon went on? His quest was to find meaning and purpose, happiness, satisfaction, fulfillment in life. In other words, he was looking to be blessed, to be blessed by God. And he came to the conclusion that being blessed by God requires fearing him and obeying him. That's the whole duty of man. And by the way, I want you to notice the sequence, the order of things that, that God gives here. The whole duty of man, the, the, the way to find meaning and purpose to life is to fear God, that comes first, and then walk in his ways. To fear God and then keep his commandments. That's why Solomon concludes in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, that's the whole duty of man. That summarizes it up. That's our responsibility. That's our privilege is to fear him and to walk in obedience to his commands. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, it says this, and now, Israel, and now, church, and now put your name in the blank because the Holy Spirit is using this scripture to talk to each one of us. What does the Lord your God require of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. And what does all mean? All means all, and that's all all means. 
and to keep his commandments and statutes which I am commanding you this day for your good. Now, again, I want you to notice the order of things, the sequence, the placement. God, when God gives a list, he gives it not randomly. There's an order to it. In other words, number one has to happen before number two and three and four can happen. Number two can't happen until number one. Number three can't happen until numbers one and two are in place. You, you tracking with me? So I want you to notice the order of things here. According to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, what's the first thing God requires of us? To fear him. Fear the Lord your God. Now, now here's why the order is so important. You see, if I don't fear God, I'm not going to walk in all of his ways. If I don't fear God, I'm not going to love him. If I don't fear God, I'm not going to keep his commandments or serve him with all of my heart and with all of my soul. I'm not going to keep his commandments and his statutes that are found within the word of God. If I don't fear God, I'm not going to obey him. I'm not going to live for him. I'm going to live for King me. You're beginning to understand the importance of fearing God? This isn't just a random thing in Scripture. This is intentional. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, you, your son, your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. I've got a question for you. Look at verse 2, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2, and here's my question. According to this text, who is to fear God? You, your children, and your grandchildren. You, your children, and your grandchildren. That's a legacy, folks. And that legacy, no matter how old you are, no matter what your past may be, that legacy starts with you. You are to be fearing God. In, in um, Exodus chapter 3, we have the story of Moses tending his father-in-law's sheep on the backside of the desert. And he sees this bush that is totally engulfed in flames. And yet it's not being consumed. It's not burning up. So that intrigues him. So he walks over to the, towards the burning bush, and the voice of God comes out of the bush and says, Moses, take off your sandals. The ground you're standing upon is holy. So Moses slips his feet out of the sandals. He draws closer to the burning bush, and now the voice of God comes out, and here's what he says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father. He does not say, I am Elohim. He doesn't say, I'm the creator of the universe. He doesn't reveal himself to Moses as the almighty, most holy, powerful God of the universe. He says, I'm the God of your father. And in verse 6 of Exodus chapter 3, it says that Moses trembled and he hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And I ask you to consider with me, how did he know to do that? How did he recognize who was talking to him? I submit it's because of the ancestry, the legacy that had been passed on throughout his generations. So how will my kids, how will my grandkids know that I fear God? Because I tell them I do? No. It's because I choose on a daily basis to walk in obedience to his commands and I'm making that choice because I love him. 
Love prompts obedience. You see, it's through my obedience to God's will that I will tangibly demonstrate to those around me that I not only love God, but I fear God. Not only do I fear God, but I'm going to walk in obedience to him. Let me ask you point blank. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? All right, so we're talking about fearing God. The title of today's message is Fearing God. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? How do I do that on a consistent basis? Well, to answer that question, first of all, let me clarify something for you. In the scriptures, the term fear of God, fear of the Lord, fearing the Lord, fearing God, carries with it two very different, very distinct meanings. There's one for the Christian. In Psalm 34, verse 9, it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There's a totally different meaning for the unsaved. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. For the unsaved, for the person who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, the fear of God is a sheer terror of standing someday before the almighty sovereign creator to give an answer to the, the sins and the choices that they've made to receive his judgment and condemnation upon that sin. But here's the thing, and, and Phil has shared this with us before, um, and I, I'm drawing a blank right now as far as the address, but the scriptures tell us that Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unsaved. So they're not even aware of that fear or that terror, but there is going to come a day when they will stand before the Almighty and they will drop to their knees in terror. Hebrews 12, 29 says that our God is a consuming fire. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 5, I tell you whom to fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. In Psalm 76, verse 7, it declares, but you, God, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? In Nahum chapter 1, verse 6, the question is asked, who can stand before God's fierce anger? Who can survive his burning fury? His rage blazes forth like a fire. The mountains crumble to dust in his presence. Oh, my friends, the unsaved person has much to fear, much to be in terror over when it comes to God. But praise God, that is not the kind of fear that the born-again believer is to have. For a Christian, the fear of God doesn't involve cowering in a corner because I'm afraid I messed up and he's going to zap me one. That's not the fear of God. The fear of God for the Christian is a deeply humble reverence for who he is. This topic has been one that has been heavy on my heart for months now. I've been studying and, and researching and digging in the scriptures, and I'm not, I haven't exhausted it yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still developing. But to help me understand the fear of God, I've developed an acrostic. It should be in your notes. What I've, what I've learned is this, that fearing God involves, first of all, placing my focus on him, getting king me off the throne of my heart, allowing God to be Lord and leader of my entire life, putting my focus upon him. And as I put my focus on him, I then begin to exalt him. And as I'm exalting him, I'm realizing who he is. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is uh, the, the majesty, the, the majestic one. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. 
He's eternal. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's uh, immutable. He's, he's God. And that should lead me to exalt him. But then as I'm beginning to recognize who he is, it should lead me to be in awe of him. And as I am awe in awe of him, it should drive me to my knees as I bow in reverence for my holy God. He is Lord. He is King. He is worthy. That's the fear of God. Focus, exaltation, awe, and reverence. That's what it means to fear him. But how do I develop those disciplines? How do they become real in my life? I love the words of Psalm 34, verse 11. It says, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Here's why I love this. I don't have to guess at what it means to fear God. All I have to do is open this book, and he will reveal it to me. He will teach me. The question is not, what does he have to say? The question is, am I ready to listen? So I had you turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Let's dive in. We're going to look at the first five verses this morning. Follow along as I read in Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom, excuse me, just a moment. Turning your ear to wisdom, applying your heart to understanding. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. As we dive into this, I want you to notice verses one through four, God's giving us six key choices. And as we go through these six key choices, there's a powerful promise given to us in verse five. But I want you to understand, I want you to notice the word if. It is either stated or implied six times in these four verses. If you accept or receive my words, if you store up and treasure my commands, if you turn your ear to wisdom, if you apply your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it like silver, search for it like for, as for hidden treasure. Now look at verse five. Then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now why is that two-letter word if so important? You see, it's what's called a conditional clause. What that simply means is this. It indicates there's a choice to be made. Choose to do these six things. You remember we saw last week, with every choice you make, there are consequences. You choose your consequence by choosing the action. You choose the action by choosing your thoughts. You choose your thoughts by whom you choose to worship. These six choices give us this promise, then you will understand the fear of God. But what's beautiful is you keep going through this, this proverb, Verse 9 tells us, as I begin to understand the fear of God, then I'm going to understand righteousness and justice and every good path. Verse 16, then I'm going to under- I-, I will be delivered from the adulteress. Verse 20, then I will walk in the ways of good men and keep to the paths of righteousness. In other words, make the six choices in Proverbs, or Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 4, and verses 5 through 22 are the consequences. We need to choose 
to do these six things. So what are these six things? What is God laying out for us? What do I need to do on a daily basis so that I can begin to understand the fear of God? Well, the first choice I need to make according to Proverbs chapter two, verse one, is I need to choose to read God's word daily. I have to accept it. I need to receive it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. He says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. You have to receive it. You have to accept it. Now, why? Why is it so critical that I'm in this book every single day? Isn't Sunday morning enough? You mean I really have to crack this open during the week and read it? In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it tells us that the word of God is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time you open up and read it, every time you come to church and you hear it preached, every time you memorize it and meditate on it and, and think upon it, it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It gets all the junk out of the way, and it reveals what's going on in your heart. Why? Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What I think becomes what I do. Why, then, is it so critical that I am in this book every single day? Psalm 119, verse 105, tells us that God's word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Question, do you want to know, do you want to understand how to navigate through life successfully? I'm going to assume your answer is yes. Do you want to know how to glorify God in everything you think, everything you say, and everything you do? I'm going to assume the answer is yes. Do you want to know how to go throughout each day of life being blessed? Pick up this book and read it. Read God's word daily. That's why we're commanded in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So according to our text in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, if I'm going to understand the fear of the Lord, the first choice I need to make on a daily basis is to open up my Bible and actually read it. Not just glance at it, not just skim over it, but read it, receive it, accept it, embrace it. You see, Romans chapter 15, verse 4 tells us that all of Scripture is written for our instruction. And I want you to consider this. How can we be instructed? How can we learn from God what it means to fear God if our Bible is sitting untouched during the week? You're not going to learn. And I, I submit you won't be blessed. We need to intentionally choose to pick up our Bible and actually read it, receive it, accept it, embrace it. We need to be what 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, like newborn babes craving, longing for the pure milk of God's word so that by it we may grow up in our salvation. We should be willing to cry out as David did in Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Look again at Proverbs chapter two, verse one. In order to understand the fear of the Lord, not only must I choose to read God's word, choice number two, I need to faithfully memorize God's word. I need to store it up. I need to treasure up God's word. 
Now let's invite this question. In fact, I'm just gonna touch base on it. I want you to dive deep into it with life groups. How is memorizing the word of God gonna help me understand the fear of God? How do the two equate with one another? Jesus declared in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. What are you treasuring, folks? Because that's what you're going to worship. I need to choose on a daily basis to store up, to treasure up God's word. That's why I love the words of Job 23, excuse me, verse 12. I have not departed from the commandments of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Can you say that? Can you honestly say that? Do you see God's word as a priceless treasure? Because here's a fact, here's a truth, folks. Sink your teeth into this. You're going to treasure that which you place great value upon, that which is important to you. So my question is, what value are you placing upon this book? You say, well, I, I, I treasure God's word. I, I, I appreciate God's word. I like God's word. I enjoy reading God's word. You, you do realize that your daily choices will reveal the truth of that answer? Your choices, are they backing up that answer? In Psalm 119, verse 11, David says, I have stored up, I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you see God's word as a priceless treasure? Why, why, why is it so critical? Why is it so vital that you are in God's word every single day of the week? In Psalm 37, verse 31, there's a promise given that when the law of God is in your heart, your feet will not slip. So Proverbs chapter two, verses one through four, giving us six things that God wants us to choose on a daily basis. Number one, read God's word. Number two, memorize God's word. According to Proverbs two, verse two, the third thing I need to do on a daily basis is I need to actually listen to God's word. The verse actually says, make my ear attentive or turn my ear toward wisdom. Choose to listen to God's word. Listen, folks, to understand the fear of the Lord, don't just open your Bible and hear what God's saying. Listen to what he's saying. You do realize there's a difference between hearing and listening, correct? Hearing is a passive practice. Listening is an active process. Listening requires you to actually pay attention. To understand the fear of the Lord, I need to choose not just to open my Bible and read it, but to listen to what God is saying to me. Are you hearing me right now? Or are you listening to me? Trick question. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, God says to the children of Israel, he says to us as a church, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse one, Moses instructs the children of Israel to listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live. Are you listening to God? 
as he speaks to you from his word. As he speaks to you when, when Phil is getting up here and he's sharing from the, the scriptures, are you listening to the message or are you hearing it? When you sit in a life group and you're discussing the morning message and you opened your Bible and you're talking about the verses, are you actively listening, not to the life group leader, but to the Holy Spirit as he speaks in life group? When you open your Bible and do your daily devotions, are you listening to what God is telling you or are you just checking off a box? Done my duty for the day. Done. Completed. All right, so to understand the fear of the Lord, I must choose to read God's word. I need to memorize God's word. I need to listen to God's word. And then according to Proverbs 2, verse 2, I need to choose to obey God's word. I have to do what it says. I must incline or apply my heart to understanding. Well, we've already talked about keeping his commandments, but I want to revisit this for just a moment. I want to ask again, why is obedience to the word of God so vital? Let me remind you of what Jesus said in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. You see, obedience is living proof of my love for God. In Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 23, God says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, <clears throat> and you will be my people. Jesus asks the question in Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you claim to worship me? Why do you stand in church and sing worthy, 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 and yet you don't do what I say? James chapter 1, verse 22 commands us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. So six things that God wants us to choose daily to do. Number one, read God's word. Number two, memorize God's word. Number three, listen to God's word. Number four, obey God's word. Number five, According to Proverbs 2, verse 3, I need to choose to pray to the God of the word. Talk with God. The verse actually says, call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Talk with God. In Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, God says, call to me. Pray. Come to my, into my presence and talk with me, and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. Psalm 119, verse 169, David says, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Let my prayer be heard. Give me understanding according to your word. I love the promise that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. I tell you, he says, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek you'll find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. That's a promise from the lips of our Heavenly Father. So I want you to consider this with me. How often, as you go out throughout a day, how often do you pray? How often do you actually engage God in conversation? And when you do pray, what are you talking to him about? Who is the focus of your prayer. 
Are your prayers king me centered or are they God oriented? I need to pray to the God of the word. Six things. I need to read God's word. I need to memorize God's word. I need to listen to God's word. I need to uh, obey God's word. I need to talk to the God of the word. Number six, I need to dig into God's word. This is different than just reading it. I need to dig into it. I need to study it. In verse four of Proverbs chapter two, it says, look for it as for silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. To understand the fear of the Lord, I need to not just open my Bible and read it, I need to seek and I need to search. How how does one seek for silver? Do do you go to amazon.com? Some would. The the verb to seek here carries with it the idea of going into a mine with a pickaxe and swinging the pickaxe. Chip, 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 chipping away until you hit that vein of silver. That's how we need to treat the word of God. We need to chip away at it. We need to go digging. We, We need to be seeking and searching. Does anybody else besides me struggle sometimes with studying the Word of God, let alone reading it, but just studying it? You know, I've been thinking about that this week. Why? Why do we struggle so much with studying the Word of God? Well, because I don't have a Bible degree. That's a bunch of baloney. Bible degree has nothing to do with it. You've got the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, dwelling within you. Don't use that as an excuse. Don't hide behind that. But I do think, and I want to suggest, that it could be that we're opening the Bible and searching for the wrong reasons. We're looking for what can I get out of Scripture? What warm fuzzy, what blessing, what, what, what command, thou shalt, thou shalt not. What do I need to do? What do I need to be? And I'm not saying that's not in Scripture, because that is. But that must not be our primary reason for opening up this book. Because the reason we find in the scriptures, thou shalt and thou shalt not, is not to make me a better person. It's to help me to understand who my heavenly father is and what he expects from me. So not only am I to seek it like silver, I'm to search for it as for hidden treasure. That that verb to search literally means leave no stone unturned, no grain of sand undisturbed. Don't be content with the gems that are on the surface. Don't be content. And, and I realize I'm, I, what I'm about to say may step on some toes. I'm not doing this intentionally. I don't have any single person in mind when I'm saying this. Don't be content with the daily bread in the morning. Now, that's a great place to start. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. But we need to understand that we need to, to dig. We need to search. You see... You, you haven't yet un, un, uncovered all the truths, all the treasures of God's word. And that verb to search is written in what's called the incomplete, imperfect, excuse me, the imperfect tense. It means the task is incomplete. No matter how old you are, no matter how many years you've been a born-again believer, no matter how many times you've opened your Bible, you're not going to exhaust this book. There are truths yet to be discovered. That's why Joshua, or God said to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous 
then you will have good success. I submit we need to be like Ezra, who set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach the statutes and rules in Israel. Where's your heart set? Is it fixed upon studying the word of God, getting to know the God of the word better? Because when that happens, then you will begin to understand the fear of the Lord. Then you'll begin to understand what is right and just. So we need to dig into God's word, not just read it, study it, dig into it. Don't be content with what Phil brings to us each Sunday morning. That should wet your whistle. Pastor Blodgett used to say it should be putting salt in your oats and making you thirsty for more. All right, let me summarize. When you choose to daily read God's word, you choose to memorize God's word, you choose to listen to what God is telling you as you're reading it and as you're memorizing it, and as you're listening to it, you choose to do what he's telling you to do. And as you're seeking to do what he's telling you to do, you pray and ask him to provide wisdom and insight and understanding. And as he answers that prayer, he gets you to dig deeper so he can reveal more of himself to you. The promise in verse five is then, then you will, underline those words, you will understand the fear of the Lord. and You will find the knowledge of God. Another thing I'd like you to discuss in life groups this week is this. How does making those six choices help me understand the fear of the Lord? Take each one, each six, each one of the six and and individually discuss them. How does reading the Bible help me understand the fear of the Lord? How does memorizing scripture help me to understand? Dissect that. Talk about that as a life group. But I want you to consider this. When you choose to start your day in the word of God, you're choosing to start your day with a right view of the God of the word. Let me repeat that. When you choose to start your day in the word of God, you will choose to start your day with a right view of the God of the word. And when you choose to start your day with a right view of who God is, your natural response is gonna be the words of Isaiah chapter six, verse five. When Isaiah was in the presence of God, here's what he said. He said, woe is me. I am undone, I am lost, I'm a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Folks, when you open up this book and you read the word of God, that's who you are coming into the presence of, the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, God of gods. That's what the fear of God should look like. Fearing God involves focus, exaltation, Awe, reverence. But I want you to understand this. We cannot, we cannot have a true biblical understanding of the fear of God until we have a true biblical understanding of the holiness of God. How are you going to get that understanding? Read God's word. Memorize God's word. Listen to God's word. Obey God's word. Talk to the God of the word and dig, dig, dig into God's word. Fearing God is not like a child fearing an abusive father. Fearing God is not cowering on a corner because I'm terrified if I do something wrong, he's gonna strike me. Fearing God begins with Revelation chapter four, verse 11. Worthy are 
you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Fearing God is Revelation chapter 5, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So I want to close my message with these two thoughts. A true fear of the Lord will not drive you away from God. Rather, it will always draw you humbly closer to him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I want to submit to you that a true fear of the Lord does not see the fist of an angry God, but rather it unveils the embracing arms of a loving creator. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we close in prayer. And as we do, I want us to take just a moment of silence. And as we close our eyes and bow our heads and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you talk with God about what he's spoken to you about this morning? And if for nothing else, just in, your, in the recesses of your heart, just worship him. Oh, precious Father, thank you that you and you alone are God, that you and you alone are worthy to receive praise and glory and honor. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our service. You're worthy of, worthy of our sacrifice. So I pray this week as we leave this room, as we head out into the world around us, that we will not be distracted from the truths that you've just spoken to our hearts, but we will meditate upon them. And as we do, we will walk in obedience to them. And as we do, it will bring about change that happens not just in our own heart, our own life, but our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers will see it and have a hunger for it. what's going on. And then give us a boldness to share you Thank you. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.